Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. Over the course of her illustrious career, Marlo Thomas has broken barriers for women. As an award-winning actress, Marlo became a household name from her portrayal of Anne Marie, the lead in the television show That Girl, a woman who, in the late 60s, wanted a career more than a family. outspoken feminist, Marlo then used her fame to launch Free to Be You and Me, which was first an album, then a book, and eventually an Emmy and Peabody award-winning TV show for children that challenged gender norms and became a touchstone for a generation of feminists. Her best-selling books include a memoir about growing up the adored daughter of TV star Danny Thomas. And just last year, she and her husband Phil Donahue released a book and podcast of marriage advice culled from interviews with other happy, long-lasting couples. As a philanthropist, she's continued her family's support for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, which her father founded in 1962. All in all, quite a life for that girl. Growing up in Beverly Hills, Marlo says she and her siblings spent a lot of time on the set of The Danny Thomas Show, her father's TV series, which ran for 11 seasons between 1953 to 1964. We all used to work at the studio in the summer, you know, running film back and forth. And when we could drive, we'd drop off scripts. So we were kind of like interns. And my dad would pay us an allowance to keep us off the street. And my dad was the kind of guy, and I have a feeling you're this way, he loved having his kids around him. He just loved it. 
And when we were children, we were allowed to sit in on writers' meetings. We'd sit on the floor, and the writers would all be talking about coming up stories or my dad's act in Las Vegas. And I'd laugh, and dad would say, oh, my kid loves it. Why'd you like that, honey? What was funny about that to you? He was interested. And then sometimes I'd say something, and he'd say, my kids are so funny. They are funnier than I am. So he gave us this feeling He kind of empowered us. I mean, I always thought I was brilliant, and I have no idea if I am or I am not, but I think I am because he said I was. And he did that for all of us. He gave us that. It's like Lorne Michaels would always say that his kids were like his focus group. Yes. I I used to say to Lorne, you know, you're a couple generations removed from some of the musical acts that are starring on the show. Now, his daughter, Sophie, is older now. She's graduating college. But when Sophie was a teenager and going to school in New York, I'd say to Lorne, how do you determine who the musical acts are on the show? And he'd say, who's ever in Sophie's iPod? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) He just went to her music streaming to see who she was listening to. Exactly. But, But tell people how the studio, what studio was he at? Desi Lu. It was at Desi Lu. Yeah. And that was like what, like Sunset Gower somewhere in like Hollywood? Yeah. It was below Sunset on Gower. But you were born in Michigan. Yeah, but for five minutes. I was born in Detroit. Now, why was the family in Detroit? My mom had a radio show there, the sweet singer of sweet songs. And my dad came on as her announcer and they fell in love. And then he wanted to go to Chicago where the bigger nightclubs were. He was really a nightclub performer. So she had to make the decision in those days, give up the show and go with the guy she loved to Chicago. She got pregnant and that was the decision and off they went to Chicago for a couple of years. And then Abe Lastfogel was coming through on the, whatever that was, the Pacific Railroad. He represented Sinatra and Danny Kaye and Judy Garland. So he was very well known. And he was told that there was a great comic he should stop and see on his way to New York. And he saw my father And he signed him up and brought him to Hollywood right away. And he said to my father, you know, you're a star. You should come to come to L.A. So that's a pattern in your family. The women in your family marrying men that they meet on radio shows and TV shows. (laughs) Right. So you're you're out there in the 50s. You moved to California. Where did you go to school out there? Beverly Hills High School? No, Marymount. Went to Marymount. So you went to a Catholic school. Yeah. yeah. Your father's an old school Lebanese Catholic. I went to Marymount. My husband went to Notre Dame. So we were raised the same way, actually. And he's from Cleveland, and I'm from Beverly Hills, but we have the same upbringing, really. Strict Catholic upbringing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when the time comes for you to launch your own career, you start That Girl in 1966? Uh-huh, 66. And you're a young woman. You're very young. Right. Well, I had done a, a pilot. You know, everything in this business is wonderfully progressive. I had bumped around doing 77 Sunset Strip and Dobie Gillis and all these <laughs> terrible shows. Warren Beatty did Dobie Gillis. I didn't do Mr. Sure. Red. Not that bad, but pretty bad. I did all those shows. I played a Chinese girl on Bonanza. Nobody knew what to do with me. I was a Chinese girl. I played a Hawaiian girl. I played an Arabian girl. They never saw me as the girl next door. You wouldn't get cast as the Chinese girl now. Right. But with my coloring, I'm olive complexion, dark hair, dark eyes. So they could only, they never saw me as the girl next door. But I was cast in a pilot at Universal called Two's Company, which was an adorable show about a young couple. And it didn't sell. But the head of the network called me, Edgar Sherrick, and he said, Claire All, almost bought the show because they think you can be a TV star. So we'd like to talk to you. 
So I went in. I was disappointed the show didn't sell because I loved it. And they said, we, we want to do a show starring you. And they gave me a whole bunch of scripts to read. And I called them up and I said, all the shows you've given me to read, the girl is the wife of somebody, the secretary of somebody, the daughter of somebody. Have you ever thought about doing a show where the girl is the somebody? And he said, would anybody watch a show like that? I said, I think so. And I gave him a book, Feminine Mystique. I said, read right. this. He called me up and he said, is this what's going to happen to my wife? And it did, actually. So we built a show based on that. A girl like me graduated from college, didn't want to get married, wanted to be an actress, wanted to move to the big city. And everybody said it wouldn't succeed. And that first night, wow, it got a 40 share. On ABC. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I was the ultimate girl next door, which was so funny because I could never get cast like that. And then I became the girl next door so much in people's minds that it's very hard for me to play meaner people the murderous yeah i have yeah. a script for you where you play a woman that murders people that's what i want Give i'm having trouble I'll raising money for the film though with Sight you attached as the murderous I'm yeah. i'll do it for nothing I'll a lot do of the it. financiers a lot of the investors i'm talking to aren't buying you as a murderous but I'll, I'll work on it i can do it but let me ask you this obviously in the 60s the looming cultural reality is the vietnam war and a lot of programming and a lot of music and things are things that help us to forget and feminism in my mind doesn't really get rolling till the 70s and your and your show's over by 71 we're going to talk later on about free to be you and me but at the moment that you do the show you were doing barefoot in the park in london yeah right and i often tell people that when a company is kind of mounting up their slate it's a relatively new company so when HBO decides it wants to do original programming, they get Sarah Jessica to do Sex in the City. They get Jimmy Gandolfini and David Chase to do The Sopranos. And they pay these people a lot of money to stay with the show and do the hit show for a long, long time. And really, ABC was a fledgling network in the 60s. I mean, there was CBS, there was NBC, and ABC was like the redheaded stepchild behind the two of them. And Leonard Goldberg and all those people were building the company during that time. Did you feel that was a part of their faith in you and their need? You were part you know, of building I, I think, that network. Yeah, money doesn't talk, it it speaks obscenities, right? Clairol was willing to put up all the money for my show. They wanted a woman, a young woman, to sell shampoo. And I was their girl. I mean, there wasn't another girl they could see yet. And I'm sure there were many, but there wasn't one. They saw me as I could sell the shampoo and the conditioner and the makeup and everything. And so they fixated on me. And that gave me tremendous power to get my show done. And so as we embarked on how to get this show written and created, I used to play charades with Bill Persky and Sam Denoff, who had <laughs> won a couple of uh, Emmys for the Dick Van Dyke show. And so I said to them, ABC wants to do a show with me, and we're looking for writers. Would you ever consider writing a show about a girl? Because they'd only written guy shows. Right. And they said, that'd be great. We'd love to talk about it. Mike Nichols had cast me in Barefoot in London. They came to London to see my opening night, and then they decided to do it. And so they wrote the pilot. And when it sold, they weren't willing to sign up for five years. Nobody really wants to sign a five-year contract, as you know. Everybody, you know, we cringe when we see a five-year contract. And Danny Arnold was going to be the producer. He only wanted to sign up for two years, Billy and Sam. So the only person who said, I'll be here for five years was me. So I became the producer. Otherwise, had they said it, 
they probably would have been the producer. So not only did I become the producer, I own the negative. I own the whole thing. And that only happened because I was the only one who said, I'll do it. And I had learned so much working from my father at the studio. Nothing was a mystery. And, you know, in every profession, whether it's show business or law or interior design or whatever it is, it's mysterious. But when you know the language, it isn't. I mean, I knew what a scrim was. I knew what dailies were. I knew what the right. editing machine with the three heads looked like. I knew what musical scoring was. I knew what a red tape was. I knew it all. So because I had just been a bug on the wall right. and been the one who carried the film from one end of the studio to the other and been interested and sat in and watched people, I was very knowledgeable. And I certainly was knowledgeable about comedy. I mean, I knew comedy. I'd done Barefoot in the Park, I'd done Under the Yum Yum Tree, I'd done Glass Menagerie, I'd done a million plays by then. Uh, I was only 25 years old, but as you know, when you start out, you're just doing stock, you know, or three city plays. I did two for the seesaw in three cities. So I was very good on the stage. I, I mean, I had my sea legs. So I was ready. You know, whenever I speak at colleges and stuff and people ask me, you know, how do I get started? I said, start in little theater, get into little theater and do mm. as many plays as you can do, because I believe everybody gets a shot, but not everybody gets a second shot. But if you're ready for your first shot, I was when I was cast by Mike in Barefoot, I auditioned for him with about, I don't know, 100 people. They gave me Marty Milner as my partner. We said, how do you do? And got up on stage. <laughs> Out of 12. And yeah. And he, and I got the part. And Mike said to me later, who, who are you? What have you done? And I told him, for a kid, I was pretty seasoned. And so I was ready. So when I came back from Barefoot, I was really strong. I've been a year there and I was very strong. And so, and by strong, I mean, not scared, knowing how to do it and trusting my instincts. I love working with actors. I love being a part of a company. And we had a great company. Ted Bessel was aces. Apropos of what you said about, you know, being in the theater, I always tell people when they're younger, I say, do anything. I say, don't have a lot of pride about what you do. Don't say no to anything. You got to put that energy out there and right. give it up. You know what I mean? Now, I know that the world was much smaller than it is now. Now there's so many shows. There's too many shows. There's no way we can have everything be good. I mean, there's just too much content out there. And, and everybody's chasing the same actors. Everybody's chasing the same writers. Right. And for you back then, Persky and these famous writers, I'm imagining that the television landscape was very finite back then. So finding mm -hmm. good writers, there weren't a lot of them, were there? Right, right. No, there weren't. No, yeah. they were pretty stellar. The show was that good because they were so good. You know, yeah. as you, Danny Arnold later created Barney Miller, which is a fantastic show. Sure. And Billy went on to do Kate and Allie and a whole lot of very good uh, women's shows. He got, he got to become a real guru for women's shows. They were very gifted people. And they the thing is, is they would rewrite everything. You know, we'd get a script and it would be kind of so-so, but it had a good premise. And they'd rewrite the hell out of it and bring it back to the table. And it was fantastic. And then the person whose name was on it would win an Emmy for it. And then somebody like you would call and say, is this the same Joe Blow that you had? Because his script is not very good. Right. Our guys had completely redone it. Actress and activist Marlo Thomas. Her push for equal rights was part of the larger conversation about gender equality in the 70s. 
Feminism was also a heated topic in my 2012 conversation with author Erica Zhang and her daughter, Molly Zhang Fast. I think that women who are 14, 15 are in the most difficult position they have ever been in modern society. What do you think about that? I, I, I mean, I agree. I think there's a lot of sexuality. I think it's not explained to young girls in a way. I mean, very confusing, Molly. But I think that's a legacy of the feminist movement. I mean, we said we wanted... It is not a legacy well, of I'm the just... feminist movement. It is a legacy, and here I really feel fierce. It is the legacy of a distortion of women's desire for equal rights. But equal rights are not platform shoes and naked clothes. You equal rights... But you can't blow up an atom bomb and then choose how it's going to go. Hear more of my conversation with Erica Zhang and Molly Zhang Fast at heresthething.org. After the break, Marlo Thomas explains why she went to New York to study acting with Lee Strasberg after her success on TV. Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself. But we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I.com. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. As executive producer and star of That Girl, Marlo Thomas worked closely with the writers to make her character, Anne-Marie, more believable. Yeah, it's a regular company. You know, you sit around and say, let's do an arc where she's looking for a job and she gets these four jobs, or let's do an arc where her father wants her to move back home. And, you know, and so you you talk about the arc and... Right. And then we'd read, have a table read, and and everybody would give their comments. There were very few times where 
you know, there were any huge debates. You know, I've always felt about stories that what's right always wins. You know, the first year was a little difficult because I was the only girl on the staff. You know, they staffed the show. I didn't staff the show. I didn't know any writers. I right. was a kid. How would I know writers? Right. So they staffed the show with a lot of terrific guy writers in which I would say, I don't think a girl would say that to her father. Or I don't know that's the way a girl would end an argument with her boyfriend. So we'd have these debates. So finally, Danny Arnold, who was one of the smartest guys in the world, said, you know what we need? We need a female story editor. You can't be the only girl in the room. And so the female story editor came on, and that was heaven, because she was able, from her expertise and her ability to write, to say, you know, let's go this way. The only real debate we ever had was they wanted to be a wedding for the last show. Clairol wanted a wedding. ABC wanted a wedding. The producers wanted a wedding. And I said, we can't do a wedding. We can't end the show with a wedding. If, if we end the show with a wedding... This audience, which has followed this character for five years, she's independent. She doesn't want to get married. She's not sure she wants to get married. She wants a career. We've had so many of those conversations. To have a wedding is to betray them. Mm -hmm. I, I think we're saying that's the only happy ending. And lots of shows end with weddings. I don't want this show to end with a wedding. And that was a problem. That was the only one. And the interesting thing is, I mean, obviously... They let me have it that way. And then a couple of years later, Billy and Sam both said to me, that was such a right idea because if it had gone into syndication that way, the show was over. Once you see the show run through and you see the wedding, then you know how the story ends. But I would have felt it would have been a wrong message to say this is the only happy ending. And Alec, I'll tell you, the mail that poured in about that, Thank you, thank you, Marlo, for not copping out. Thank you, thank you for not ending with a wedding. I mean, they really, they wanted to see it. They've been hanging on to the fact that this is the one single girl on television had never been a single girl before. Mm -hmm. so there's this one single girl, and she doesn't get married at the end. Mm -hmm. And I always had a thing growing up, which is why I did Free to Be You and Me, that every princess married the prince. That was the only happy ending of a fairy tale. And I hope your children, in fact, I'm going to send you Free to Be this week. Your children should listen to Free to Be You and Me because well, I want there, to is, that, yeah. there is no one happy ending. Your no. boys and your girls will have the happy ending that they create for themselves, not one that goes along with what every other boy and every other girl has done. So when the show is over, when did you go to the actor's studio? After that. Because you're in Hollywood doing the show. So when the show's over, you moved to New York? Right. Well, I, they wanted us to do two more years, and they wanted me and Teddy to get married. I didn't want to get married, but they said, well, then just do two more years, because they really needed that girl. I mean, there weren't a lot of hits on ABC, as you remember. Yeah. And I said, I just can't. I was a girl when we started. I'm a woman now. Right. I can't be the same little girl running around right. trying to get a job. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's I'm too old now. You know, I'm 31. God. It's time to move on. And I got a script. It was called Crackers. It was about a, a woman who was a drunk, and it was a very touching story. And I read it, and I thought, I don't know how to do this. Everything I had done ha had been in this comedic vein, Barefoot in the Park and all the stuff I'd done. I mean, even Glass Menagerie didn't have that kind of character that you had to, you know, to play a good drunk and to have come out of that and all the 
would come yeah. from the withdrawal. To ring yourself I, out. You got to ring yourself out. To I didn't know how to parts. do it. Yeah. So I called Ellen Burson, who I had met a few times. So she said, you, you got to go to Lee Strasberg. So I called him. He said he'd meet me. I flew to New York. And he said to me, you're a big star. You got a lot of awards. What do you want to come to class for? I said, because I only know how to do what I know how to do. And I've gotten by on a lot of charm yeah. and uh, comedy instinct. He said, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, my dear. I said, I I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that's, a that's what I got. That's my whole bag. So he said, okay. And after that, I started doing work. I mean, I, I won an Emmy as Best Dramatic Actress playing a schizophrenic after that, that Lee Grant cast me in. It was called Nobody's Child. And I don't, I'm not saying this to toot my own horn, but I'm saying this to prove what acting classes do for you. I was up against Vanessa Redgrave, Catherine Hepburn, Jenna Rollins, and Mayor Winningham, and I won that Emmy. And I would not have won that if I, had I not stopped my career and worked on my work for three years. And I say often to people, sometimes your career gets in the way of your work. Mm -hmm. You've got to stop and do your work yeah. and figure out what it is you want. I've been there. When I quit that girl, my father said to me, you have to be crazy. You are the heir apparent to Lucille Ball. I said, Daddy, I know that's a great compliment. But I don't want to be Lucille Ball. I respect Lucille Ball. She's a genius. That's just not where I'm headed. Yeah. I, I wanna I wanna be a lot of other people. Now now free to be you and me, how did that start? It it really happened because of my niece. As you as you know and as you can hear from what I'm saying, I was born a feminist. I mean I really was. My father used to call me Miss Independence as a child. I always had an idea of what I wanted to do and I wanted to do a single girl on television. I gave feminine mystique to the head of the network. I was obviously always going in that direction. And um, and when I was doing that girl, I got a lot of mail from young women that was shocking. I get a letter from a 16-year-old girl who said, I'm pregnant. I can't tell my father, where can I go? I'm 22 years old and I have two children and my husband beats me up. Where could I go? Mm. So I said to my secretaries, we called them at the time, I had two of them. I said, I don't know, where the hell does somebody go in, in Duluth if they're pregnant? Where does somebody go in Salt Lake City if they're being beaten up? As I looked around and we looked around, there wasn't any place. There were no legal advisors. There's no place for a woman or a girl to go for safety or counsel or anything, which politicized me. That's how I met Gloria Steinem and all these women. And created the Ms. Foundation for Women, all that happened because of the mail I got because there was no place for women to go. But then my sister had a baby, the first grandchild in our family, and she was about four and a half or so. And I was reading the books in her bedroom and they were all the thing about the the boys do this and the girls do that. And the princess marries the prince at the end of the thing. And I said to my sister, this is such rubbish. It took us 30 years to get over this. You got to get her something else. So I went to the bookstore to find something else and there wasn't anything. So I decided to do one of my own. So I created Free to Be You and Me for her. I really had no intention of it becoming a big franchise. I, I just wanted to do something that would have stories for boys and girls that said they could be anything they wanted to be, that it'd be non-racist and non-sexist. And so I got together with friends like Shel Silverstein and Herb Gardner and 
Ed Kleban, who had done the, the music and lyrics for Chorus Line, and Patty Chayefsky, who was a friend of Herbie's, and a bunch of people. We sat around and said, I, I said, okay, let's rewrite our childhood. What would you have liked to have heard when you were a kid? And Herb Gardner said, I would have liked to have heard that it was okay for a boy to cry and that it wasn't sissy. And Carol Hall wrote that wonderful song, It's All Right to Cry, which has become a classic. And we got Rosie Greer to sing it, which was great. And, <laughs> and, then I, and then I said, I want there to be a story where the princess does not marry the prince at the end and goes on to her own life. And, and she's not a blonde. She's a brunette like me with olive skin. We did that one. We did Atalanta, where she runs in the race and chooses her own life. So we rewrote all the things. And the company was called Bell Records at the time. You know, I was a big shot. And so they, they made the record. And uh, Alan Alda directed the written pieces. Got Mel Brooks to play one of the babies with me, That the two babies who don't know who's a boy and who's a girl. And Mel and Carl Reiner wrote it. It was hilariously funny. Anyway, we did the whole thing. And he said, you know, you're not going to sell more than 15,000 records. I said, that's okay. We, we're not doing this for the money. We want to change the world one five-year-old at a time. Well, it went gold and it went platinum. And then we did the book and it was number one on the bestseller list. So we did the special one, an Emmy and a Peabody. I mean, it just because there'd been nothing like it. And just last week, it was inducted into the Library of Congress oh, with wow. albums along with Janet Jackson, Kermit the Frog, and Thomas Edison, of all people. So when an idea is right, and it wasn't, you know, I didn't write the pieces. I, I conceived the idea and assigned the pieces, but I'm not that kind of writer. I couldn't write a song. But, you know, Alec... I'm sure you feel this in your work. If something comes organically from you, as that girl did, as Free to Be did, as something you really believe in, you want to do, it does touch other people. You know, it isn't like, oh, I think it would be really commercial if I did a show about this. That's probably not going to be successful. But if it comes out of your own desire to right a wrong or change the world or express this thing that's so on fire inside of you, that has a very good chance, I believe, of being successful. Actress and activist Marlo Thomas. This is It's All Right to Cry, sung by Rosie Greer from Free to Be, You and Me. That's right, Rosie Greer, the NFL defensive tackle. It's all right to cry. Crying gets the sad out of you It's all right to cry It might make you feel better When we come back, Marlo Thomas talks about her 40-year marriage to talk show host Phil Donahue. If you're enjoying this conversation, tell a friend. And be sure to follow Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself. But we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs 
programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I.com. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. For much of the 70s, Marlo Thomas was a proud single woman with no interest in getting married. And then a guest appearance on a daytime talk show in 1977 changed everything. I just never wanted to be married. You know, it just wasn't for me. I, I, I had a, an idea of what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to London and do a play. I wanted to be free to take any opportunity. That And I don't mean in a romantic way. I had a lot of fabulous boyfriends, but I just, I, I just wanted to experience so much. And my husband got married at 21. And he said to me one day, how the hell did you have the guts not to get married early? I said, because I'm a girl. I knew damn well if I got married, I'd be responsible for the babies, for the house, for the husband, for the everything. I grew up with that. I know I'm of a Lebanese family and an Italian family. And they're a lot like the Irish, as you and Phil are. You know, the mother runs the roost. She takes care of the children, and she has a 1,000 of them. My father's one of 10. My mother's one of five. My mother gave up her career and followed my father around the country and really supported him in his career, and that was her choice. I looked at that choice and said, that's not for me. I wanted to be my father. I wanted to be on stage. I used to see my father... the Sands Hotel in Las Vegas, and his eyes would be shining, and he was having a ball. He's happy. and I, uh, ha- So happy. Yeah. And that was it. I, I think I discovered what you say you're discovering now. I discovered work made me happy. It made me happy. And my husband, in the last about six years, I did a play off-Broadway and a play on-Broadway. One was Elaine May on-Broadway, and one was Joe DiPetro off-Broadway. Mm-hmm. And Phil said to me, you're so happy when you do a play. As far as I'm concerned, you can do a play every year. I'm the happiest when I'm on stage. And so I made that decision. I hadn't expected to meet Phil. Um, it was beyond my control. It's like a gag. I mean, he walked in the green room and it was like a shampoo commercial. I mean, his big blue eyes and that shock of white hair. And I thought, oh, my God. And 
I was dating like three men at the time. Phil said the same thing. He said, I, I walked down the hall after her and I thought, my God, she's a bad thought. And then we flirted for an hour on his show. He asked me out the next night and that was it. But what changed? Meaning you've said in interviews that you had a couple different types of boyfriends. You had the hunky boyfriend, you know, you had the leading man boyfriend. Then you had the smart, funny boyfriend to keep you interested. Well, you're very right. My comment was that I, you know, the, the, you know, the gorgeous guy, the hunk and everything, that guy was, was you know, a sexy turn on. And the other guy, he was so smart that he taught me things. I was very attracted to men like that who kind of, you know, just taught me about business or taught me about life who were just very smart, which the hunky guy didn't really have that. Right. And this was the first time I met a man who had it all. Phil was hunky and sexy and real smart. Mm-hmm. And it just was a it was a great package. And so at first, the first thing that brings you together is the hunky, sexy part. And then the more I got to know him, just so wise. And he always does the right thing. He always ends up with the right spot. And, you know, Phil moved his show, his show, his whole show, all the producers and everything to New York. I was living in LA. He was living in Chicago. I had a big production company. I'd made 12 movies for television in a row. He had his own show and he was raising four boys on his own. He was getting his boys through school, his show every day at 9 a.m., Our lives were insane. And I said to him, he said he wanted me to move to Chicago. And I said, look, at this point in my career, I I really can't live in Chicago. I can live in New York or L.A. He said, I can't live in L.A. I'm I'm not interested. He said, no offense, but I'm not interested in interviewing actors. So we picked New York and we moved everything to New York, including his show. He said, let me just get my boys through high school, which was like another two, three years. He got his boys through. We bought an apartment. We got married. The boys got through high school. He moved his show and everything. And we made a life in New York where neither of us lived. We bought an apartment. We bought a house in Connecticut. We we invented a life. Now, obviously, another enormous part of your family's legacy, your dad's legacy, and your legacy is St. Jude's. Talk to me about the genesis of that and why Memphis? My father grew up very poor, an immigrant family. My grandparents were from Lebanon. They had no money. They came here with their, all their belongings in cloth bags. An arranged marriage had 10 babies, nine boys and a girl, without a doctor, hot water and her sister. So everybody in the neighborhood, they were everybody. They were Polish, Irish, Jewish, Chinese, Italian, Lebanese, whatever. And they never went to a doctor. And they all had jobs on consignment. I mean, it was real, real dirt poor people. And my father had little friends who died of things like influenza and appendicitis, which are manageable situations, but they died because they never could see a doctor. So he had a very a firsthand look at the inequity of health care in this country. And that always was in his mind. And so when he made a promise to St. Jude, show me a sign that I can make it in my career, because he was my father was terrified of being poor and not being able to raise his children the way his father was. So he was willing to give up show business if he knew what got assigned to do something else. Anyway, he got assigned and he continued on his way. And when he got very successful and quite wealthy, 
he decided it was time to pay back and he wanted to build a hospital for very ill children where nobody would be turned away, not for race or religion, and no one would pay for anything, not treatment, travel, housing, or food. And he picked the South because, and this was a wonderful story. My father carried this little piece of paper in his pocket for many years. He read in the paper that a black boy, eight years old, in Mississippi was hit by a car. A white guy hit him on his bike. The white guy picked him up and tried to get him to a hospital, but no emergency room would take him because he was black and he died. So my father decided, I'm putting it in the South. I want the kids from the South to be able to get here too. And so he did. Interesting. And it was the first solely integrated hospital in the South. And uh, we have the largest program for sickle cell. We have 800 sickle cell patients. And we have a black, white, Hispanic. They come from all over the world. We even have Amish people, which so stunned me. Because here these people won't even have a zipper. But when it comes to saving your kid, if your child is sick, God forbid, you'd sell your arm to get your kid sure. well. These yeah. parents come terrified. They're going to have to sell their house and everything else. And they don't have to sell anything. They just have to come there. And we put them up in beautiful housing, which, by the way, I do most of the decorating. We can put up 400 families for years, two years at a time. It's an incredible place. Well, let me just say this to you. I want you to tell your husband that we'd love to have him on the show. I didn't want you together because I feel like a show with Phil Donahue. That's four segments. We need to do four hours with (laughs) Phil Donahue. Because I respect him and I admire him and he's got a lot to say. We'd love to have him on because I'm a huge fan of your husband. I will. I'll tell him. And what I love about your husband was, is that his political views, though they tilted in a certain way, they weren't partisan. Do you think that you agree with that? Through most of his career, yes. He got hit in the head, got fired from MSNBC because he opposed the war in Iraq. And it was an interesting time for him. Here's a guy who'd been on the air for 29 years in syndication. And when I first met him, he said, I've got the best job in television. And I said, why? He said, because I can say anything I want to say. And if you don't want to run it in Detroit, you don't have to. But Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in 250 cities, so don't run it. So... He wasn't used to any kind of censorship, overview. He just did what he wanted. He went on MSNBC, and the war was ramping up against Iraq. So he put on fathers who had lost their sons, both from Israel and Palestine, to talk about what war really does. And these are men who were opposite each other in in their beliefs, but they had both lost sons in these wars. And he had on all the people that were against the war, the Colin Powells and all the people. And they were all all the generals who were against the war. And NBC told his producer, you've got to get Phil to get off the war thing. You know, NBC is run by General Electric. General Electric makes things that go boom. So um, he didn't stop. He just he felt it was not only he wasn't being defiant. He was being a journalist. He was saying. He was showing the other side of this and uh, all the other shows everywhere actually were for the war. Yeah. I just want to say this to you, and that is you probably should go back on TV because you'd still be the funniest, most sophisticated, gorgeous woman on TV. Thank you. That line from Lucy to you and Mary Tyler Moore hovering around the same time onto Murphy Brown, those great, great leading ladies of network television. God, I would love to work with you one day. What a joy. That thank you. Be. Well, give me a call, Alec, anytime. We will call you. We will call this you. This was fun. Lots yeah, of fun. Thank you. My very best to you, and thank you. Thanks for having me. 
My thanks to Marlo Thomas. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. We're produced by Kathleen Russo, Kerry Donahue, and Zach McNeese. Our engineer is Frank Imperial. Thanks for listening. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.